Hello, it's Charlie Gray here. Uh, I'm just going to introduce our next guest. We have Mr. Nicky Murray joining us today. And I first met Nicky when I was 14 years old in Inverness in a sort of village hall type space. And we've gone on an amazing friendship journey since then. And we've just grown next to each other as musicians. I would strongly recommend listening to his work. We had a great time working on one of Nicky's original songs, which we were very fortunate to arrange with him uh, for, I believe, he'd not recorded it before. So we'll be playing that later for you in this episode. Nicky Murray, it's great to see you. You too, man. Thanks for coming in, Nicky. It's always great to see you. It's, uh, it's been a bit of a strange, strange year and a bit. Indeed. You're living in an island. I am. I was in the Highlands. Joe's here in Glasgow. I know. You two are just around the corner from it. Now you're on the street from me. I know. It's funny, isn't it? <laughs> in my flatmate's old flat. I know. And then it, what was funny is we, we were, we just talked about meeting to do this. Mm-hmm. And then the first time we bumped into each other on our street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next day. <laughs> <laughs> I, that I was, know. That's actually, yeah, I'm just thinking about it like the last time we would have seen it. Chilly Nicky, I would have been living with Joe and you would have been living in the Highlands. <laughs> yeah. So it's like... <laughs> I know, and we had um, we had a nice wee time when we both were in Inverness, yeah. pretty much in the same street almost as well. That was a great wee period. We just had a, a nice few hangs, didn't we? Yeah. Um, I remember going to the church and playing some tenor guitar with you. Oh yeah. That wee that church. We weren't allowed in, but it was like outside or whatever. In the porch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was nice. I should, we should have done an album that night. Yeah, no. <laughs> and going to Bruce's place. Um, we Gregor's, pl- yeah. yeah, we had plenty of good crack in there. Nice. Yeah, I was just thinking about sort of the whole lockdown thing, and you seem to have done quite a lot of live stuff online. I suppose, yeah. I mean, I tried, um, you know, some people were doing like those live streams like weekly, and I just, I don't have that in me. I just didn't. So I, I tried not to overdo it. But yes, I guess you, there was some necessity. Um, you know, you kind of gig. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did. I did a few um, live streams. At first, it was kind of, it was kind of exciting. I was like, mm. get a wee bud. Yeah, I thought, oh, yeah. okay, let's try it. And um, I tried it, and we actually had a great night. You know, because a lot of people came. I don't, I don't know. Maybe sixty to eighty people coming. But then eventually, as time went on, like I wasn't going to any. Even some of your favourite bands were playing, and you, you just think you would be there, but you. It was just too much, you know, I found it. I found there was just way too many. Yeah. And it, it just became a bit overkill. And uh, and I thought, well, you know, if I feel like that for some of my kind of favourite artists, it's like, I don't, I don't want to... I, I guess I don't have as much loyalty as they might have, so I was yeah. like, I don't want to ruin it. Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I, you know, I know a few people who'd make, like, a bit of a thing about, like, going to a live gig or something in the house and, like, mm-hmm. get dressed up. And, but there's only so long that you can kind of... I do know. that sort of thing, yeah, isn't there? Before totally. you're just like, oh, I, I know. need the real thing. I think with us being musicians or artists or whatever, you 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 kind of extra sensitive to, you know what you're missing, yeah. you know what an actual gig is like, but you know, I I, th- I suppose you also have to bear in mind that some people are absolutely comfortable with it. Like, I know people who still go to live streams every week, and they pay every week, absolutely, and they just yeah. love it. They're mad for it. Um. Yeah. I even know some people that go to uh, the same band three times a week. 
to go to watch them three times a week online. <laughs> and um, had, yeah, maybe some people were fine. Yeah. yeah, some people, I guess, are loving it because like they are getting to see their, their mm-hmm. favourite band just <laughs> sitting on an armchair. <laughs> I know. You know, some folk, if they're, if it's folk from the States or whatever, you know, and it's like, oh, they're coming to Europe and like they'll maybe be in London or something like that, you're never, the chances of you're going to get to go and see them are like, they're slim. Well, slim. So, yeah, like, oh, true. if you can just get it from your house, it's. I know, why not? Quite well, nice. That's in some the thing ways. is, we did see so much stuff that, um, that you wouldn't have seen, you're right. Mm-hmm. And also collaborated, like, a, I recorded a lot of music more so. I guess I was concentrating more on that. But I mean, I was able to collaborate with people you know like boston or whatever oh just by sending tracks to one another yeah do you mm. mean which you might have done before but it just you wouldn't think of like that but it was it was very accessible you've maybe also got like more sort of creative time to be spared to things Indeed. like that as well it was a strange time it, it, at first i was it was kind of selfish because people were saying oh how is it for you and you know i was thinking well actually having a great time yeah but then obviously eventually you start to see how real it got yeah um and certainly for other people it's easy to to feel uh divorced from it when you're not losing people and all the rest of it so i understand that that some people actually did indeed have a a, a horrifying time but um I, I had a really great time until I started losing work and, and not getting it at all yeah yeah realizing it's not kind of coming back yeah that's kind of where I've, I've <coughs> been a bit as well it's just like seeing things being ticked off the calendar yeah. and knowing that it might not come yeah. back or it probably isn't going to come back you know I know it's dead. It, was, it's, it became pretty tough um, I think for you as well Joe like you you've put in a lot of work to like actually book gigs and do that side mm-hmm. of it like how did that affect you I think there's kind of a point at which it's just like, okay, we're starting again. There still is a load of goodwill, but I think at that time it was just like everyone who kind of is in that infrastructure was like, we're just going to try and make each other's lives as easy yeah. and as fair as possible. So yeah. it was like, rebook like the first half of 2020 into the second half and then roll all of that into yeah. 2021. And it's now, you know, there's only so long, I think, in terms of what you can take emotionally to yeah. just be like, you know, slogging away at the same this is it, yeah. things. So I've, I've very much gotten to a kind of point of like, start again. And yeah. that's, you know, kind of doing this podcast as part of that because it's a different way of like making and being connected with other musicians and yep. with folk in the world and stuff. So much has changed over the past couple of years. So much has changed about like the live scene and that whole, that whole ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and so much has changed for everyone personally as well. So it's like, okay, let's just try and We'll just start again with that and mm. it's been nice because i've gotten to a point now of being really excited about it it's definitely alleviating mm-hmm. the pandemic just now i feel like it's it's coming away different this time whereas before it was like you thought everything was opening and, and then it was it was it would shut shut back down again yeah, but yeah, yeah. i feel it's a bit different now it's less of a sense of dread about mm-hmm. it all i think so um, you're right you, you have to adapt to some degree and it's quite scary because some people are saying, I mean, I think it's ho- ho- terrible to say, but some people are saying, why should I, you know, go out to see a band and pay money when I can do it from the house? People say, artists will have to adapt to that. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've given a lot away 
over the past year and a half, I think, mm-hmm. just as a you know artists and musicians yeah. generally. It's the classic sort of issue of sort of the the creative world is like you're going to always practice your art no matter what the circumstances. <coughs> yeah, you know? yeah. It's kind of and it's are. like people sort of pick up on that and they're like. Oh, artists are always going to make, and musicians yeah. are always going to play. And I know. Annie Grace said it really well. She was like, "They worked out we'll do it for free." <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's it's, it's true, you know. Yeah, it's, um, and but, we will. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. That's, it's really sad because music has already become it's dispensable because of obviously here us talking all the time now about it, but Spotify and all this, it has been devalued, I think, greatly, and um, I think something like this is. I don't know what's going to happen, you know, it's changed drastically. Mm-hmm. It can be quite gloomy, I think, if you think about it too much. I but um, I think there's a certain level of comfort in the fact of being like, you know, this is always something I'll do. You know, I will just do it for free. And uh, knowing that is kind of nice in a way because it's totally. just like, it's so it's so there. It's, it's a constant, it's the biggest yeah. constant in life, I yeah. think. And, you know, there's always other ways of... But that's the sweet thing. That's when you know that you, you're an artist, whether you like it or not, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever way you want to kind of um, perceive that as, you, you you know that that's who you are. Or, you know what I mean? And and, and I, I suppose for some people, they found that the other way. A lot of people were working and, and they had furlough. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so they were experiencing not working for so long. They kind of found that they were doing the wrong thing. Yeah. And some people, when they went to go back after furlough, they, they, they went back and then all just chucked it. Yeah. yeah. Like, there was a big percentage of people that, that just said, actually, no. <laughs> really <laughs> nice from that me. point of view, I think. Look, class. Sort of like figuring stuff out. And totally. Like, oh. <laughs> and I, I kind of found that I'm, I'm doing what I want, this, what I do want to do. And it reinforced the, the realization that yeah. I, I, I am I'm definitely this, doing what, I, what I, I feel like I should be doing. Yeah. A strange, very bizarre time. Yeah, we've definitely all changed as people, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've been lots of people in my time so far. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I, I don't mind. But something I've been thinking about quite a bit recently is you kind of have more control over changing the version of yourself. Mm-hmm. So you know how you live and what you do and what you value and stuff like yeah. that. And, you know, previously my feeling about it was it's just like, oh, I'm just on a track and this is just one direction. This yeah. is kind of it. You can do anything. Exactly. You've got so much more power and control over I know yourself, saying. over your person than... Yeah, definitely. Perhaps. When you're younger, when you're, I'm not sure, a teenager perhaps, you, you're you going to be this or you must be this. Mm-hmm. So you think, oh, I must be that. And then yeah. when that, you, you go somewhere else and then you think, oh, I must be that, I must be that. And then I think I've kind of realised in the past few years is that there isn't a thing. No, it's just open. Um, yeah. Because there's no... <laughs> no one really knows what's the crack anyway <laughs> and so I love people who just do, do what they, they want something else I've, I've realised is that I feel like right now I'm past few years is like I'm kind of had a reliving a childhood that I'm, I kind of missed a wee section of yeah. uh, and I'm loving it you know when I was 18 I had this serious thirst for knowledge and to know things and to know the crack and to be sussed mm-hmm. and now I'm the opposite now I, I just love being um an absolute dafty. <laughs> I don't mind it at all. Um, I felt more, yeah, more like my child self yeah. the past like, year as well. I don't mind being embarrassed by something anymore. You know, <laughs> it's cool. It's not a problem. Um, 
like you obviously have you as Mickey Murray as a project. Do you God. have any other bands or projects? Yeah, I guess I have a few different things within just that. I mean, because I I I have um the traditional world where I play fiddle and teach mandolin stuff like that, and that's just so separate from my own music. And often it, it kind of because uh, <coughs> spending time in the in the kind of trad world, where I, I guess that's probably the reason we we all met. But you know that's very separate to to the other world. And um, I think some people like bookers or some people m- must think that I'm a traddy when I, when I don't know what I'm not really anything really. But sometimes I've I've been booked for a lot of gigs mm-hmm. where they're expecting I don't know what they're expecting. Yeah, and they, and they book me and I turn up with a synth and a drum kit. <laughs> and they're like, oh, what? <laughs> half, the, half, half the room leave. <laughs> so your sort of like first experience of performance was more sort of pub-based? Totally, it was all carrying your own PA everywhere and it was just wild. We, we had this mental old PA from like the 80s or something and you, you had to sit hunched over in the car, you know, because you couldn't... Um, you just all fitted in the back. You get like a pole sticking over your head, and I had to hold the door shut because his yeah. door didn't shut. My, my partner in crime at the time, uh, his passenger door didn't shut, so he just had to hold it. And uh, also, I think his window didn't go up. <laughs> so it was just, you were going to gigs like this to play three hours to like one person. <laughs> some, yeah, yeah. some like mental pub in like Milton. <laughs> so, when was like the first time you did in quote marks up? A proper venue, you know, like a concert hall, or I think yeah, I think it was the Ironworks in Inverness did a a showcase for I, I can't remember what it was. I, I don't even know how I ended up there, but it was like that. It was like you know those gigs where they have like five, six different bands doing like a twenty minute set each or something. It was like that, and so that was on like the big stage for a, a big cracking PA, and I was like seventeen or eighteen or something playing my own songs. And I was like, woofed, you know, this is, I'd never been that loud before. And I'd never, I'd never sold tickets. It was dead funny because it was those crazy pay-to-play times. Do you, I don't know if you've ever caught them, but... Oh, well, you could, well, they'd book you for the gig, but you had to sell a certain number of tickets. Aye, or yeah, Or make up the difference yourself. Aye, aye, so I didn't, I was so naive and unexperienced there that, mm-hmm. I think it was something like, if you sell 25 tickets, you get all the money. All your share of the ticket, but yeah. if you don't, you don't get anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I sold like twenty three or something, and uh, the guy went up to the promoter for some other venue. <laughs> I was a, a different gig altogether, and uh, I was like, "Oh, here's my tickets, my my ticket money." And he was like, "Well, you only have to sell two more, uh, and it'll all be yours." Yeah. And I was like, "I've tried, man," and he was like, "If you just like, maybe you should go out in in the street." Or something. He was trying to say to me, "Go buy them yourself, or something. If you pay twelve yeah. twelve pound, you'll you'll get two hundred pound. Yeah, <laughs> or you'll get nothing if you don't. But me being a dafty, I just was like, oh, okay. Then I went to the street and tried to sell tickets <laughs> and didn't sell any <laughs> and got no money. <laughs> the guy was like trying to be like, just you know, are you sure you don't want to try and sell them? <laughs> and I'm like, nah, it's cool, man. <laughs> so I did quite a lot of the pay to stuff. Well, a good few, not a lot, but... And then I realised that it was pure ludicrous. And I'd always do it with supports, you know, it would be like, oh, and that would be the other added bit of it. It's yeah. like, oh, you've got this chance to support this. Yep, yep, yep. Someone who's maybe coming on a tour or something mm-hmm. like that, and it's like, and yeah. it's just a way of getting more folk... I know. ...through the door for them. But it's a it's a hell of a thing to put on to 
you know, young performers. Yeah. It's kind of what, what sixteen year olds can can sell any kind of serious yeah. tickets. You know, I mean, it's rare. Mm-hmm. I shoot you like you know Buddy Holly or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I understand that it's just a model that they know. It's, it's hard to generate income and ticket sales and stuff, especially when you're starting out. It's, even now, I think nobody's going to come. Mm-hmm. I'm like, nah, no way. <laughs> but it, it always kind of works. It's it's always a surprise, yeah. like, you know, when... It's hard to trust that, isn't it? Yeah, because it does build up over the time. And, like, I'm sure, like, we've all, you know, we've put a good bit of time into doing those sorts <laughs> oh, of gigs. Yeah. And, Certainly yourself. And people so. like the stuff and they come to the things. And, like, um, it's you need just... to trust that. It's like people... That's something I learned over the years is to just l- listen to people. You know the, the classic uh, Burns saying what is it again the oh what the power the gift to give is to see ourselves as others see us that you can't see finding people that you trust their their feeling or opinion to mm-hmm. you and just going with that <clears throat> music and just eating, like putting on a show or something like people say no no don't worry honestly like it, it, like people will like it or people will yeah, if yeah. you record music as well like I know what you're saying people do, do buy it yeah and people will like it and they will come <clears throat> yeah pe- people do want it and I find that really hard to trust uh, do you too struggle with this thing of the things that you find to be the best are not necessarily the things that are successful or the things that you think are not very successful and you're a bit like oh about tend to be the things that are that people most mm. like hopefully. like if you put an album or something like that and be like that's my favorite track mm-hmm. exactly no i don't like it. that so much and <coughs> then the one that you don't like so much is people the one that does well this is yeah. exactly and then what I'm about, yeah. that's totally I, I think yeah there's there's always something like a song or a gig even a gig a performance and you're like that was a pure whitey that was horrible and, and after yeah. it, i don't know if you ever do you ever get like angry <clears throat> Once you finish a gig and you're like, that was, that was disgusting. <laughs> but, I can't even look at myself. I know, totally. But then there was the lights around it. I can't look. I know, totally. <laughs> <laughs> Proper Will Ferrell. Yeah. But, but then people come up to you in tears, being like, oh my God, you, you don't understand how much you just moved me. And you're like, okay. And I've, I've, I've really learned to try to trust that. It just shows you that every single person's experience is different. <coughs> totally, man. An example is the photographer that me and Joseph both know. He, he put on an exhibition and he set up the room perfectly with all his photographs around about. And there was one photo that he put in the bin and his wife sort of dusted it off and put it in the exhibition without him knowing. Okay. And it was... The one that he put in the bin was the only one that sold. Whoa. And it sold like a whole, like loads of people bought it basically. Mm-hmm. They kept on buying prints of it. It's so, so And it just shows it? you that, that thing of like, <coughs> you know, maybe the things that we think are yeah. not very good are actually. So true. I think there's a certain amount of letting go, you know, like whether it's you make something that's like a recording and it's out in the world or you do a gig and that moment in time has passed. Yep, yep, yep. I kind of just have to leave it there and be like, okay, that's done. Yeah. Next thing. And, you know, maybe with, like, the passage of time with recordings, you can be, you can start to look back and be like, oh, that oh, I really like that, or I don't like that so much, I can have feelings about it. Mm-hmm. But it's already had a life in the world, mm-hmm. and people in the world have been like, yes, I like this bit, no, I don't like this bit, and things surprisingly do well or surprisingly don't do well. But yeah. I think... My so kind of true. answer to it is just to care less because yeah, what matters is, is making it, I think, really. It's so tr- you're so right. It's, I have a friend who 
um, he's just an incredible artist, yeah, you know, musician. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I just think he's so class, so high end, and um, but he's such a perfectionist that um, <clears throat> he's made all these beautiful recordings. Um, but he keeps tweaking just the, the tiniest wee things that are so irrelevant. No one else knows. Mm-hmm. And um, but it's like th- this thing that you're making it, it isn't for you only. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. What? Why would you release an album anyway? <coughs> it's only for others to hear. There's no point in releasing an album if there's nobody here. Not, not necessarily. Right. Like, of course, it's for him personally. As, I, as he's a, as an artist. Mm-hmm. But but what? Why put it out to the world? Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's like if you've made the thing and it exists, you know, as a recording mm-hmm. on a on a tape or in a computer or whatever, it's like that's the bit that's for you. Yeah. 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 Why why would you then share that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's for other folk. I think so. That's a nice way of looking at it. Actually. <laughs> I, I like that. There was a story that you told me years ago that's always stuck to me. I've actually said it to a few folk. Um, sure. That you had all your songs in a book. Oh. Right. And you binned it or you. Put it in the fire. Put it on the fire, yeah. That was in ten, eh? I, I it was just like hundreds of your songs. <coughs> totally. Written. I had a big pile of paper that that size. It's about an inch or two. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, there's no video camera. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just actually oh, were all nonsense. Yeah, that was me learning to write, I guess. So that was the I lived in ten and um just entered a new world, you know. It was brand new and it was it was so inspiring. And it, and it blew my mind. You know, when you first break out of your kind of youthful reality and you realise there's no order to anything, yeah. <clears throat> and it starts to be terrifying. Just the amazement to, of the world, you know, we, we're, I guess, oversensitive to it. <laughs> but being artists, you, like, forcefully sensitise yourself to it, you know, by just keeping on contemplating, which is obviously endless and useless. <laughs> but I was marvelling at everything. Uh, but it became too much, you know. I, I remember, <clears throat> it's, it, it's, I guess it's not really a story worth a story, but I remember leaving the house one time in 10, and I just glanced up and I, I just caught the moon at the corner of my eye, and I, and I just said, no, that's too much. <laughs> and I just went home. <laughs> and I was like 17 or something. And so I was in that kind of condition. And so I wrote about stuff like that constantly. Did it feel quite liberating to burn that in a way? I, I, I suppose it, it, later on it did. There was, I kind of had to write like that. I mean, it, it, that was my apprenticeship or something, yeah. maybe you could say. I just All I did was write. I just wrote constantly. I just couldn't stop <coughs> writing, and I don't have that anymore. I don't have that. Although I'm writing a lot just now, but nothing like I used to. But, but I think it was all pretty poor. I understand that there's, there's probably some gold in there. Yeah. To to some to some people, like there would be for me if I was like looking through everything Bob Dylan chucked out or something. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'd be like, no, you must keep everything. It's a nice way of maybe segueing into like talking a bit about your relationship with songwriting as well. And you're, you're saying you're doing it a lot slower nowadays. Like, do you do you have a process for that? Is there does it kind of just come out of nowhere on a Saturday morning, or do you have to go? I'm going to write a song this week and have a walk around Queen's Park a hundred times. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know what you're saying. I, I certainly don't have routine, but I, I did for a, for a, a year or two, um, periodically within the year. I was first of all in a group uh, called Song Every Week. The, the crack was was to, to finish a song every Sunday by midnight. 
or if, if you miss it, then you're kicked out. <laughs> and, uh, Savage. That's it. And so um, we did that for a while, and that was great because you realise, because you're like, there's no way I'll write a song every week, but you you last surprisingly longer than you think. And say you write ten songs in ten weeks. I mean, that's only a couple of months or so, and you've got ten songs. You maybe only keep half of them, but that's five new songs. Do you know what I mean? Where before it was just like writing, you know, five songs one month and then nothing for half a year. You know what I mean? Or mm -hmm. I don't know. And so after that group was finished, I ended up creating my own one. Yeah. But I, I, I kind of maxed it at ten people, but I realised that a lot of people were not trying to operate as full-time songwriters, which I was. So not everyone can write a song every week. People can more than they realise, but it was too much to ask for. Everyone was just getting kicked out. Yeah. <laughs> like the first week, and just everyone was left, <laughs> apart from maybe like three of us. <clears throat> so I changed it. And your uh, rumour has it you're still going just alone. <laughs> <laughs> so I changed it to song every two weeks, mm -hmm. song a fortnight, uh, and it's three strikes and you're out. And that was kind of better. And there's no constructive criticism, which I love, but I, I didn't want it to be that space. It's just people. The, the crack is, is you need to have a finished song. It can be recorded on a phone, whatever, you don't have to arrange it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be super production or whatever, but um, but that gave structure. You, you, you were writing a song, you were always working on something. <clears throat> but now that their groups are finished, I might start a new one very soon, but now that they're finished, I, I'm back to what it kind of used to be, where you're just writing freely. But I definitely miss the structure. Can you do it, like, on command? I guess so. I doesn't mean, going, doesn't mean it's going to be good. <laughs> um, me and you do a lot of improv together. <laughs> it's kind of like the the basis of our relationship, isn't it? Just sending each other ridiculous videos on Facebook, like improvising this. They can't all be winners, <laughs> like the songs. But there's there's a few pieces of gold in there. Me and Charlie send each other videos. We have I don't even know how to word it, but we do. But <laughs> we send each other videos. I think I've seen a few of them. Oh. <laughs> and ridiculous. We would definitely actions. be sectioned. If yeah. we... <laughs> <laughs> One day we're going to release it as a, as a film. Actually. Oh my God. I know. What do you think about um, finishing things? Is it like you can start something like with an idea for like a song or a piece of or a tune or whatever and kind of get halfway with it and leave it? Or do you have, once you start something, do you have to finish it? I think I personally know when something's... I like to finish things, and mm -hmm. I think I know when things are finished, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Like, it could be... It's a good discipline. Yeah. A very short phrase, and it could be finished. Yeah. But every now and then I'll come up with a short phrase, and I know I'll just sit with it. Sometimes it'll be in my mind for, like, two years at a time, yeah. or it might be about for three weeks, mm -hmm. or a week. It doesn't really... I know what you're saying. But every now and then, the other half will appear, mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. one morning or whatever it is. It's yeah. It's but I, I do know what you mean, it's, it's a funny one. I don't yeah. know about you, I certainly have a problem finishing things, and that's why the group was good, because you have a deadline. Yeah. You, you, you finish it or, or you won't be part of it. I suppose right now I'm realising that I'm starting to be aware of time, and I know we're all young here, but you're beginning to leave that youth, and you realise, I'm like, right, OK, I'm going to be 30 in whatever, two years, two and a half years or something. And you're like, right, at what point do you 
am I going to be this songwriter or what? Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's not limitless. You can't just, you're not in your 20s, you don't get that back. And so, yeah. so right now, I've got that thirst back like I used to have. And I want to write a lot and, and I have been writing and I guess releasing a fair bit. But um, I want to do more and I definitely, I definitely will. I, I know that it's it's there now. What what are you writing for? Are you like writing for albums to then <coughs> release? Is that kind of your inevitable goal? Or are you writing for gigs or just just kind of just to have songs. Eventually you, you do think about gigging and you kind of cater to that. Because you're like, right, what am I doing as a songwriter? And if you are gigging, you're like, right, what goes well? And and I do write for, for recording. I suppose mainly I want to record a nice uh, record. To be honest, I mean, I suppose it is just the only obstacle now is just uh, financial. It doesn't have to be severe. <laughs> but you, you do need something. And and I've did the budget record. I've, I did one years ago for someone else helped me out for, for free. And recorded in a wee room and then I did an R record winter more where or where everyone to my house and stuff but and so I understand that you to not let money in the way of you that's fine but I did that but now I want to make something nicer I think you know mm-hmm. nicer I mean that's not a fair word but you know, Absolutely. You know. I think that there's a real difference a lot of what Charlie and I have done so far has been you know self-produced and recorded yep, yep in this room and others like it you know we oh. studios that i've just had or the first one was in my living room my flat and stuff mm-hmm. and i've found it to put me in a very different frame of mind totally to, ha- to have to also be on top of the i'm recording this as well as playing on it and you know you can hear the producer you're the recording engineer you're and you're the musician and it's it really and everything else divides your brain totally a bit too much i think it's you run so into different. like we were in my wee studio but it is like an expanded home recording setup you know what i mean and that's that's good up until a certain point and then you're in like a I studio heard. with hundreds of thousands of pounds <laughs> of gear yeah. in it and it's like that it's a different game it's isn't a it? different thing and like i think that's i really noticed the contrast doing that most recent record of ours charlie because um you know everything before that was self-recorded yep, and yep, produced yep. and like there was a there was a live album and then there was two kind yeah, of yeah. in that was a, studio was a beautiful albums. record um, I had that used to listen to it all the time. My that long set. That's good crack. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. And, uh, but I just, I, I, I want to do something different now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just need a little dollar and like, we can get something together. So, but I have, the, I, I suppose I have the songs and I'd like to work with um, some friends or songwriters, you know, and maybe just kind of a, 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 a re- rearrange them a wee bit, adapt them and mm-hmm. just the this, this source itself, the song itself. I'm I'm very open right now. I'm in a open space and I'm trusting other people. Whereas I used to be so with my songs that were mine, and there's no way I would have shared them. I wouldn't even want to sing them to people. <laughs> but now I'm like, it's a song. You know, do, do have it, <laughs> do what you like with it. Uh, I don't mind anymore. But this, I suppose that's something that I want to do this year is present a collection of songs that I have to someone. Um, if they're up for it and then just start recording them that's the thing with the home studio stuff is you do have I mean I've got nice mics and stuff that you might use in a studio anyway and so but you don't have to waste money anymore so you can record the source in the studio mm-hmm. where it matters Yeah. and then you see backing vocals and yeah, yeah, yeah. synth parts even it's, it's almost irrelevant 
to do them in the studio, like backing vocals, it's a bit of a waste if you have a nice space. Yeah, you can just get it yourself and <coughs> mm -hmm. layer up. And I think the other side of that as well, and where I've, in all of the kind of recording for stuff that I've done, where I've been really lucky is, so it's like, you know, you record everything, it's in the computer, and then there's the process of editing it and polishing it and making it release ready. And like, that's not, not something I've ever felt that confident in, because, you know, I just, I'm kind of pretty self-taught on the whole recording front. So, but what you can do is work with, you know, like a mix engineer or someone to do yeah. that, to do that side of it. And totally. if you get kind of clean recordings, they can they can make it it's much more towards the this is a shiny studio yep. thing. And yeah. It's so true, man. Like yeah. you, you, something I learned is embracing other people's skills. Mm -hmm. I learned that I, I'm not an engineer, mm -hmm. uh, but it took me a while to learn that. You know, when you yeah. when you first get a recording set up, you. You're like, oh man, that's me. I'm such yeah, here we I go. Take on the world. <laughs> I, I yeah. Why waste money in a studio? <laughs> Imagine paying an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, over the years, I certainly learned that I'm indeed not that, and I don't want to be. Yeah. I love recording myself, like demos, and I love EQing and I love doing it. But I certainly, I would just rather play. Yeah. And I, I would like to supervise the process. You know what I mean? Be there when it's being mixed in. And it's helpful to be able to talk that language a little bit yeah, when you're exactly. working with someone. But it's, it's good great. to know that language. Yeah. I think I've been so lucky in that regard with um, Matty Folds. Like, yeah, you know, I've certainly heard them, the name. I, like, for sure. I was thinking about it because we've been talking about this project that we're going to work on together upcoming. And, mm -hmm. like, you know, he's in one way or another we've worked on 10 releases together now and like oh, that's right. often with him taking my kind of slightly janky home recordings and making them sound like one million times better wow and also being really kind about that because you know i can imagine if you're a class recording mix and mastering engineer if you get this kind of homemade stuff and your job is to kind of polish that turd <laughs> like um i can i can see how that would be incredibly frustrating but like yeah. he's been so gracious yeah. about that as well as being totally class and I think about that sometimes and I'm just like Christ I was so lucky yep. to, to have that relationship I know. to have him there to do that I certainly realised that um, over the years as well as looking back and who I was as an artist or what I was doing and realising the people that supported me back then mm -hmm. now I'm like hitting the, I'm their age and looking at 18 year olds or whatever and I'm yeah. like Jesus Christ I'm like thanking them Mm -hmm. I'm like, by the way, thanks for being so patient with me because I was brutal then. Yeah. <laughs> and there, but now I get it, you know, and it's, it's, it kind of flips a wee bit and um, it's amazing that it's so important to be kind and patient. This sounds very diva, but uh, when you're a musician or an artist, you're, it matters so much in your emotional state and it's hard when you're trying to do that as a career or whatever. It really matters how you feel, uh, where you, what you're going to produce and create. And so when people are around just nourishing that, if you have a good engineer or good people around you, it's just so vital. Oh, totally. You ever been in a studio and you have like a, a, a money old sound engineer or like a live gig? Gigs, I've had uh, a lot of, yeah. Most of gigs. A sound engineer kind of moans at you. Yeah. Whew, your whole so, set. Something wrong with your fiddle, son. Ah, uh, yeah. Right. Like, give you, Jeff, about your, your gear, the quality of yeah. it, the decisions you've made about what you're using uh -huh. or... I just can't imagine yeah. doing that to somebody. Oh, they start telling you how to play it. It's like, yeah. play louder. And it's like, you fucking make it louder. I know. You know, it's your job. I know. 
literally you have one job. Yeah, <laughs> All the sound engineers yeah. are like phoning in, being mm -hmm. like, oh, well, there are, and there are some amazing ones, and you know, you get the total yeah. flip of that. But of I think that you know, there's also an age dynamic in that. I found less and less of yeah. that as I've gotten a bit older and maybe a bit more kind so of authoritative much, yeah. in myself and yep. knowing well, what to ask for and what I all need and stuff. Done so much more of it now as well, and I think yeah. certainly I know kind of what to ask for. Like if something starts going wrong on stage, I'm just like. I kind of know what's up mm -hmm. if if the things aren't going yeah. to plan, you know. Also, just in a side note, there's nothing worse than the musicians that are demanding stuff for the sound engineer. Oh, yeah. oh totally. You, <laughs> see, you see the flip of that. You see that, uh, you know. Thinking sound engineers are your slaves. That's so it. And I can't can deal with it. That total yeah. kind of diva. Oh, my thing. God. It can, you know. That's worse. Horrible to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it kind of went off on a tangent, I suppose. But no, it's, it, it, it's a shame or it's unfortunate that our emotional state matters so much on the performance yeah. of what you're even doing. And, the thing yeah. as time goes on though is is it's like you do kind of find the people that that, that yeah. doesn't have who just who do nourish that yeah. kind of emotional Absolutely. state and it becomes the priority to just be like and you have them around always. Yeah. Sort of the, thing. And you also like, learn to desensitize to like the bad experiences of it as well, yeah. I think, because by this know. point certainly I've had so many good ones that yeah. it's just like yeah. you, can't let that one bad no, exactly. thing get in the way. I had an amazing story. Um, I, I loved the story, so I was um, playing, I probably shouldn't name them, but <laughs> the sound engineer did our sound. I mean, this guy, this sound engineer did the sound for Hendrix and all that back in the day. Like He's a, he's a proper legend. And so to get to work with him was amazing. He was doing our sound, but he was telling me that uh, the people we were playing with were in a band in the 80s and they were like gigantic, you know, this, so like 20,000 tickets and stuff to yeah, the yeah. big master show but they took him on as their sound engineer back at the time so we're, we're just we're it was that dinner or something before the gig and we're chatting about all the old tours and stuff they used to do and the guy the engineer uh, told me a brilliant story where this guy had, he joined the band and he was a guitar player and singer and um he'd been playing for like two years with them and he used to always say more guitar more guitar and the guy would no, he wouldn't turn up in the monitor, <coughs> and then he kept noticing that when he would hear recordings back or something, he'd be like, it's never enough, it's never enough guitar, or people keep saying, can he hear you and all that? And so he approached him and he says, like, man, what's the crack with the guitar? It's never enough, people just keep saying. And he says, oh, that's because you're not in the mix. You're not out front. And he was like, what? He says, you've never been, you've never put you out front. And he's like, what? <laughs> I've been playing for two years. And he, was, he said, there's two perfectly guitarists in this band and you're none of them. That is savage. <laughs> Holy shit. But the engineer knew more. Yeah. <clears throat> he, he was right. Probably, you know, that's what the, the guy was saying. As an older person, he's like, he was certainly right. <laughs> and this guy, had, as I say, he did tours with Hendrix, not as his engineer, yeah. and did and all sorts of other legends. And so, like, he's been around. He does know what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, and you have to trust that sometimes as well. Sometimes an engineer, they're not the crack. <laughs> but I loved that story. I thought that was hilarious. That's absolutely two nice. perfectly guitarists in this band, and you're none of them. Well, thanks uh, for coming in today, Nikki. And that was, problem. that was really nice to listen back to the track there as well. Yeah. yeah what did you think? Personally, um, I thought it sounded absolutely beautiful. 
the instrumental sections and stuff especially it's like um it's like i think one of the comments we made is like if i heard that i'd, I'd be interested to hear who, who it was yeah um, you, you know that first take it felt real mm-hmm. and it felt it just felt i knew it was the one the whole way through it and when we finished it i knew we wouldn't top it and uh we had a few goes uh, but then on the listen back we all just were like well this is it yeah and uh, it's very true what they say is you do get further and further from the source when you try to redo something mm-hmm. yes yeah, this idea if you do lots of takes and you perfect it doesn't really work like that does it i, I feel yeah. it's the opposite mm-hmm. i hear like i heard i don't know how true this is but i heard like in sun studios you know, back in the fifties and all that, like Aye. your good Johnny Cash and all that, they would get him to do like fifty takes, a hundred takes of songs, mm-hmm. <coughs> which uh, I think it's, it's absolutely useless. Yeah, that would be really hard going, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so meaningless, I think. Yeah, no, I think that one, that one had a vibe, a really nice vibe, I think. Yeah, I felt it. I felt it felt beautiful at the time. It's like a soulmate thing with you two. But you know the music that you create together is so beautiful, you know, and it, it's so. Um, I think you both just understand each other's um, the empathy for the for the feel and for the spirit of it, you know. Oh, thanks. It's um, you know, thanks, you know, without sounding too uh, uh, soppy or whatever. But I don't think you realise how much I admire both your playing, you know, individually as well as it together. And likewise. For your songwriting, I'm a very big fan and listen to you a lot. So, and I think that's one of the nicest things about this podcast series is that you know we can kind of cater to those things and like just sit and have have chat with people that we really like and mm-hmm. play music because that's a really nice thing to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's it, isn't it? That's the, that is what we're doing for. That's why we do it. Yeah, and it just felt so nice to play music with yeah. you again, Nikki. It's the best I've heard in my song, you know, that I'm like, how oh, I put it out now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sort of coming to the end of this session and things, something that we tend to do is we get our guests to uh, think about a word that sort of encompasses everything that we've talked about today. If you had one word, mm. Nikki Murray, <laughs> <laughs> on the spot, oh, no. <laughs> what would it be? I guess um, I've. I've not in, in risk of sounding a bit funny but I, I, th- I think just fortunate you know I feel really fortunate to to be invited from you guys you know because as I say I, I, I absolutely I love the way you both approach music um, and the way you play you care about the music you care about the feeling uh, and so do I and so to to kind of recognise that and to gel with that for me is I'm, you know, very fortunate to have, to have to be able to do that. Well, we're very fortunate to have had you today. It's been brilliant. <laughs> That's been great. I feel awkward. Whatever. It was lovely spending the afternoon in the studio with Nikki there, just talking and making some music. We'll press play on the track we recorded together now, which is um, an original song of Nikki's called Hearten.
Well, we were very fortunate to have Nikki there joining us in the studio, and I strongly recommend going and listening to all of Nikki's work and checking out his beautiful photography. These podcasts are made possible for us um, through certain funding bodies, so I'd like to thank the Marcus Trust, Britain Peers Arts and Creative Scotland. And although these podcasts are free to listen to, if you like what you hear, you might consider subscribing to us on Bandcamp and you can find out more details through cgjpmusic.com. So next time on Taking Notes, we have the wonderful Blair Corrin, who's an amazing piano player and all-round incredible musician. So tune in in two weeks' time to hear that. Mm-hmm.